Well, I'm around in the, the sports analytics community for quite a while. I came into contact with Joe Mulberry. He's a scout for uh, one of the big clubs in uh, Denmark. Uh, he had some, some questions about how to go from his notebook code to a Flask application. Mm -hmm. I noticed that a lot of code in the notebook was pre-processing and, and converting the original raw files into some standardized format. And I noticed that a lot of people were spending quite some time on that, like opening the files, uh, parsing it and going to some kind of Pandas data frame. And then I thought, well, maybe I can contribute a bit to this community. And I, I don't know a lot about soccer, but I, I know how to write software and I know how to read those files and, and make sure that yeah, you, you get a standardized uh, output. Hi, my name is Gareth Thomas from Tangible Computing. And I'm Andrew Rutgers, co-host. This is a podcast about where computing meets the real world, from the fast and the complex, like controlling an engine, to the imaging of a patient, or even scheduling an airline. We want to trigger your curiosity by talking to the people behind the scenes of making the modern world happen. Deepening your understanding of where computation plays a role in our everyday lives and motivating you to help engineer a better world. This podcast is powered by Version Bay, a consulting company that offers experienced consultants to professionalize your MATLAB, Simulink, and Python projects, minimizing the risk and quantifying the value in migrating to newer software environments. And now, let's find out how software drives the world. So hello, everyone. Today on Tangible Computing, we have Kun Fusen, who's a founder of a company here in the Netherlands called Team TV. Welcome, Kun, to the show. Thank you. So to get things going, Kun, maybe you can uh, tell us a fun fact about yourself or something that not many people know about you. Well, I, I do a lot of computer science things, but I never actually did any study of computer science. I, I just started when my dad gave me Lego Mindstorms. And well, the first thing I started doing was opening Visual Basic and doing hacking around. So I think that's pretty interesting that that's where everything started and uh, well now I'm on the show this I think this this pretty nice <laughs> it's amazing to see the impact of Lego and how that's changed the life of so many engineers and scientists <laughs> around the world so so good to hear that but maybe to for our listeners to understand a little bit more about you you actually are a founder of a company called team TV could you maybe tell us a little bit more about your company yes or our company started for solving a problem that a lot of sport coaches have. When they, when you coach a team, it's really good to make situations more explicit, and you can do that by using video. So when you record a match, it's really good to show good things or, well, things that can be improved using video. It's quite hard to to get a video from your camera and get the right pieces and share it with your players and also have the conversation about it. And that's why I, together with uh, Ron Steenberger, started, I think, even 10 years ago with uh, Team TV. And by then it was more like a hobby project, like our all startup uh, startups uh, start. 
I think we build it for our own clubs uh, to solve our own problems. And just for my understanding, when you say sports, is this kind of like for, you know, the top class football clubs or is it broader than just football? And is it only for professionals or is it maybe somewhere between professionals and amateurs? Where's your sweet spot? Yeah, that's 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 maybe even uh, like a fun fact, uh, because I think a lot of people uh, think that video analysis is, is more like for the pros, but it can help players on all levels and and not only football playing korfball and we are using it in, in korfball but you can use it for all all sports even for for youth players you can use it really good what what are some of the insights that a, a coach would be able to show off uh, for instance in a football or, or soccer match uh what what would the the coach be able to point to and say hey this is something to learn about or to do better mm -hmm. well i, I think uh, a coach should always some goals or uh, what you're working on with your team and which you would like to improve so it's, it's like team specific i think it's really good to to get some uh, good examples from your own matches and also get some yeah, examples that can be improved but it can be like team play how you work together or uh, some individual stuff could be how you do some ball handling or timing issues it can be anything, but I think it's always really good if if you use clips that are related to the, the goals you're working on with your uh, team. Right. So I, I remember when I was a teenager and I was playing semi-professional tennis, mm -hmm. I remember it was a common thing for my coach to kind of record me and all my friends and we were playing it and he would bring out this camera and he would put it on the side of the, the tennis court, but he wasn't really tech savvy enough. And I seem to remember him wasting tremendous amounts of time trying to get us in frame. And then the playback was always slightly different because the tennis players were standing in different places and he was trying to articulate uh, how we could improve our movements. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you that you kind of help coaches so that they don't need to worry about the hardware and you just kind of uh, get a contract with a team or a coach and you do all the heavy lifting all the way from setting up the cameras the hardware the maybe other additional sensors could you maybe tell us a little bit more how that works mm -hmm. well when, when we started we just said buy a camcorder and upload uh, the footage but uh, then we noticed that the footage can be like 15 gigabytes and they were uploading a full day now we're moving more to use like a gopro set up the live streaming and then the gopro will stream it directly to our platform and then they don't have to think about anything and i think the next step would be to uh, yeah like have our own hardware for uh, field hockey we are already building that system automatic cameras that do live streaming and fix everything. So a coach only have to schedule a match and then the footage will be ready in our system and also during the match. And how do the players of the teams respond to this? So you mentioned like this football, hockey, korfball, tennis. Mm -hmm. Do you see uh, similar patterns across all the sports when players see themselves? Is it a bit of a like a, a surprise of their movements? Maybe the non-professional mm -hmm. ones who are not used to it? Yeah, also the professional ones, I think they're, they're like different types. I think a lot of players really have to get used to it. And that's why the role of a coach is really important. Because I've seen coaches that directly show only bad moments, 
well, you can do that once or twice, and then all the players think like, well, I, I'm not interested anymore. Uh, so a coach should really start with showing a couple of, of good examples, and then th that's it. And people or the players should learn uh, watching themselves and yeah, get used to it. And some players won't ever watch it. It's I've heard similar advice for people management that uh, as a as a manager giving feedback you need to you need to give good feedback and you need to give bad feedback to to help improve and it, it helps mm -hmm. to do it in balance and sort of even out some good and some bad so that mm -hmm. uh, people are comfortable re receiving it as opposed to exclusively focusing on the bad. I, th I think that's a re really good e example and and using the the video it's, it's like video feedback so it's similar to to other kinds of feedback, but definitely applies, yeah. And maybe just to kind of dig a little bit deeper onto the technicalities of the solution. So you're saying one GoPro, but you're, you're measuring team sports in some cases. So I'm assuming that there's more than just video feeds. Are there other sensors and things that you kind of go into uh, collecting data so that then when you present it to the team slash coaches that they get more insightful information? Can you share a little bit more of what you actually is collected? Mm-hmm. Um, right now, it's it's mostly uh, what I call uh, event data, so that actually describes what's going on in the in the match, like a pass or a shot or a, a rebound, stuff like that. And most of the times, right now, it's uh, manually collected. So during the match, someone is using an iPad with our application on it. For each sport, we created a specialized uh, yeah, tagging panel where you can uh, really easy enter that data. What we are creating right now is, is also adding uh, tracking data so that we know for each player where he or she is on the pitch and that you can also use that data to quickly find relevant clips in the, in the match. So I'd be, as a coach, I'd be able to say, okay, pull up that time that Kuhn passed to Gareth and it would say, oh yeah, that happened three times and which, which video do you want to see? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so we also provide some uh, standardized dashboards that we created with some top coaches. There we show all kinds of metrics, insights. And if you click one of the, the metrics, you right away get all the, the clips that are uh, you know, part of it. And then you can quickly go from which were successful and which one were uh, unsuccessful. And then yeah, really quickly go through it. And if you find uh, ones that you're interested in, you can directly push it in one of your playlists and uh, use a playlist for presentations or show directly to your uh, players. So before we go into a little bit deeper into the technology and making this happen, because it seems to like you're collecting information, you're collecting events, signals, you're post-processing it, you're storing it, you're deriving insights and you're displaying it. So that's a nice technology stack. I'm a little curious on something that you said is this event triggering system. Can you maybe go a little bit deeper into the sense that what is the alternative? Because I can imagine that someone getting into this area, they would just put up a camera, they record, I don't know, a football game or tennis game or whichever game, and then it's a very painful process to find these key elements. Is that part of the added value of using an event system? Well, what I said, the, the events, like the the events within the game. Yeah. So the, the, the shots and the, and the passes. And what we did with the team TV, we 
we made a selection of events that are most relevant for most of the coaches. So people don't have to think about what they should select. What we also see is people creating their own event types. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then of course it's harder for our system to know what it actually means. Right. And yeah, it, it, it definitely also works because then you create the events that are related to the goals that are you, you are working on with your team. Right. So then it sounds like it's a very customized thing towards each particular sport, but I can also imagine that um, you, to put this all together, you get quite a lot of information. So, so how do you actually scale this? And can you maybe talk a little bit about the technology stack behind how you implemented this? Mm -hmm. Well, if, if you look at a match, I think if you get like a thousand events for each match, that's, that's maybe uh, even on the, on, on the high side. I think of a typical core ball match, you get like seven, 700 events. I think that that's not really big data yet. Even if you have like a thousand customers, each creating a couple of hundred of matches, it's not a lot yet. Um, so we are just using a regular MySQL database and it, it works pretty, pretty fine. But on the video side, yeah, there we we had some scaling issues in the beginning. Yeah, because processing the videos was a bit more heavy than we expected. Uh, when so, we started. so, what sort of processing do you do to the videos so that it, it comes up from the GoPro and then you save it? You you mentioned about tagging it uh, with points, but what are what some of the other processing you're doing? Well, what the people upload are pretty often like raw, I think most of the time, like MTS files uh, for an entire match, it can be like 20 gigabytes. Uh, you don't want to serve that to, uh, to people. And also we want to do on the fly clipping. So we have footage of an entire match and on the fly, we would like say, well, create a clip from a certain point, like 10 seconds uh, up to 15 seconds. And then we need to do some pre-processing on the video file to make sure that we're able to cut exactly on those timestamps. So it's kind of modifying the video codec to put keyframes in the right spot to be able to, to cut out uh, sections more easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And also make sure that uh, we are able to make a compilation of, of clips and making sure that the download is available in just a couple of seconds instead of requiring entire rendering of a new video. And also part of the pre-processing is that most cameras create a lot of segments. Yeah, we also just merge them together to a single file. So that, that's yeah the, the typical pre-processing that we do. And I, I don't think that's really hard to do, but it's more like the, the volume, the, the peak uh, uh, volumes that we uh, Everybody tends to play football at about the same time on uh, Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happens. So, like weekdays, uh, nothing happens, and then Saturday evening, the system needs to process like a thousand uh, videos at the same time. Uh, yeah, that's where the fun or starts. Or I hear in your voice that you've got some war story that you'd like to share with us, Kun. Yeah, that's well. When you start with such a thing. You just buy a VPS somewhere, and that, that works when you have a, a single customer. 
because then you get two videos <laughs> and it well it works and then uh it, it got a bit slow when we got uh, some more customers then we got, got a dedicated hardware it's a dedicated machine but it was pretty fast with uh, pre-processing pre but there were some some issues there were some customers complaining on tuesdays that the matches that they uploaded on saturday were still not ready and yeah we were able to process one one video at a time and it sometimes took like two days to get uh, the queue entirely empty well customers didn't like that a lot yeah so we, we had to solve that uh, in some way so, so may, may i ask if you um so you mentioned you're using mysql on the back end and on this processing is this what languages are you using um we we still use uh, quite a lot of uh, php okay but uh, processing is python and right now we're also moving more parts of the the system to python so in the the back end i try to split it as much in and separate yeah like bounded contexts for each how do you call it uh, different subjects of the entire system so one is about uh, creating reports one is about player management stuff like that and in the back end we can quite easily replace the back end for each part and that's what's going on right now so if we we're building a new reporting engine and we first version was in, in php and now we're writing it in, in python and uh, the endpoints are quite similar and uh, we just replaced the back end and the front end doesn't even know that something changed. So this is a transition to microservices. Yes, and and right now, yeah, the, the PHP application is is one bigger one, but it's already split in those separate services. So that makes it easier to just replace uh, a single application service. So, so it sounds to me that you've kind of over the years built up quite a skill set, Kuhn. So maybe I'm kind of curious, how did you actually get started with this idea? Was it like one day when you were playing soccer or tennis when you were a kid and you say, I want to become a better player and you asked your mate to make a video of yourself and, you, and that didn't pan out. So you said, okay, I'm going to go and create a company to, to help my local club. Is, is that how it started or how did this actually, what's the origin of Team TV? Yeah, that's actually... A really interesting question because I, I didn't want to build a video analysis tool. I, I started with together with my coaches when I still played in like an under 19 team, and we want to build a player development tool. So to track development, we didn't have video in there, but my coach had a contact with Ron Steinberger and he was building a video tool and he got stuck a bit yeah, with the files, big files and didn't know how to pre-process them. So we got into contact and then I was like, yeah, well, maybe we can do it. And at the time I was working at uh, Ilse, the search engine, Dutch search engine, maybe you know it. Yeah. And in the same building, there was also a GW player which is one of the bigger players in the video streaming area. And Jeroen, one of the founders, was in the office, so I could just ask him everything about video engineering. And I did, and he answered all my questions, so that was great. So yeah, then I knew a bit about how to solve those video issues. 
but in the end was Ron is also a top coach that he was using it. I didn't really use it at the time because I was just a player and well, yeah, at the time I didn't use it. So uh, it was mostly Ron that was the, the end user. I was more building the system, the, the video part of it. So how, how did you then build on the technical side? So I'm curious, how did you pick all of this up? Was this something that you kind of studied through the years and at a young age you're into programming or was there something around your career that you just picked up a hobby along the way and just learned as you went along? Well, I, th- I think my brother had uh, the PHP uh, three-year book somewhere <laughs> and then uh, I'm not really sure how, how how I ended up with some some students that needed a PHP developer and I said well I think I can do it because I have a book (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well yeah I think I just started with it and 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 after that when I during high school I already worked at a software development uh, company I think at at some later companies the 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 manager just gave me some some books about uh, uh, you know the, the the blue book about domain driven design and I had some other good architects around there that taught, taught me a lot about how to designing these kind of systems. So uh, yeah, along the way, I, I learned it, I think. So, so the other thing I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, and I also noticed that you're a bit of a community builder in, in different areas. But if I understand correctly, you also maintain your own uh, Python package. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also... Uh, a cool project, I think. Well, I'm around in the, the sports analytics community for quite a while, and, and a couple of years I just watched and see what was what was going on. I think two years ago I came into contact with Joe Mulberry. He's uh, also an, an, a scout for uh, one of the big clubs in uh, Denmark. Uh, he had some, some questions about uh, how to go from his notebook code to a Flask application. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, was really cool to work together with him and learn uh, about what data is available in the in, in soccer. When I was re- you know, kind of rewriting his, his notebook to a Flask application, I noticed that a lot of code in the notebook was pre-processing and, and converting the original raw files into some standardized format. And at the time after that, I noticed that a lot of people were spending quite some time on on that, like opening the files, uh, parsing it, and going to some kind of Pandas data frame. And then I thought, well, maybe I can contribute a bit to this community. And I, I don't know a lot about soccer. I don't know about all the, the cool metrics that people are using. But I, I know how to write software and I know how to read those files and, and make sure that yeah you, you get a standardized uh, output so then I started with with that package yeah and what is it called it's a uh, cloppy so uh, well I needed I needed a name and um, there's a great uh, coach called uh, Jurgen Klopp and uh, if you put uh, <laughs> By after that you get uh, cloppy. <laughs> yeah. 
And, and at a high level, the Cloppy, what, what does it actually do? So is it a kind of like a standardizing of parsing files and then putting it into a standard data shape that everybody can use? Is, is mm -hmm. that kind of the ultimate goal for it? Yes. Uh, one side for the event data, there are a lot of providers uh, where clubs are uh, able to, to buy their data. But they all provide it in a little bit of different uh, way, different formats. They call the same e event uh, in a different way. Attributes are, are different. One uses uh, IDs, the other one uses strings. Cloppy tries to yeah, make sure that it's standardized. It also standardizes the, the coordinate system. So one provider uses uh, 0 to 1, uh, the other the actual pitch dimensions, some flip uh, the X. X uh, access and stuff like that so it's all corrected so no matter what uh, you get the data from it's always in the exactly the same format and so i'm kind of new to the the python world regarding sports analytics uh how vibrant a community is there are there lots of packages which focus on different sports that you inherently maybe leverage in your company or is it just a few people who do this do you have a can you share a few words of how big a community is there around data science around sports i think the the, the data science around sports is well if, if you, there are a lot of people doing it but I think uh, within clubs, it's still a bit limited. But uh, the, the community itself is, is pretty big. So a lot of people are building really cool models. But I'm, I'm not really sure if those models are actually applied within clubs yet. Do you see a spectrum within the different sports? Because I, I think a lot of the kind of sports analytics particularly for recruiting, got going, well, frankly, the story in Moneyball. But baseball is incredibly well suited to doing analytics on it because the plays are all really discrete events mm, that have, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you can fairly easily code, okay, this person got to second base, uh, this was an out, this was a bunt. Uh, and there, there's really not that many possibilities. And so managing the data is very easy as opposed mm -hmm. to football where the game can go an hour and have a score of 1-0 and it, yeah. you know you, you can't you don't have enough data if you just say we played for 90 minutes and uh, the score was one nil and uh, we did it again two weeks later and it was two nil mm -hmm. um yeah, yeah so what, what that would definitely make it easier like uh like, like baseball uh and you see in, in in soccer that people are i think struggling a bit with it and seeing what metrics are relevant i think most people are, are building models on top of a lot of data and for example trying to predict if a pass would increase the the what do you say the expectation for a goal if it would lead to to a, a good chance or something like that but i think some some other people are are doing some really great stuff at, with uh, models also one is pitch control so you could tell a bit about what part of the pitch is controlled by by uh, which team? Uh, also, something that um, PSV together with ASML uh, is 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 working on, and it's 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 pretty uh, pretty cool to see what you know, what the community is is building. So maybe in my mind, Quinn, there's a, there's a couple of 
angles here that maybe you can clarify. So I have this mental model when people say sports analytics, there's a few categories, right? So there's one category is during a game or during an event, right? Mm -hmm. But there's also uh, all the activities leading to that. So the training per se, so the drills that you do and how that impacts performance and the player's Mm -hmm. ability to grow and improve certain aspects of their game. But there's also a thing of all the things leading up to the training, right? So their health condition, their mm, eating yeah. habits and, and all of that. And, and I'm assuming there's post-game analysis of, you know, the team collaboration, what, what are the impacts and how the morale was. So I, do you see these different categories playing uh, separate roles in contributing towards sport? And that is actually the bottleneck because you have to connect them together or is it just because different people focus on different elements and it's really hard to bring the right information to explain this clearly to both coaches, players to have a big impact. Well, I I think some, some clubs are getting all those data together and, and yeah, there are some clubs where the, the, the staff is really collaborating with the the data science people and the staff is uh, more data savvy, I think, but I, I think, yeah, those domains are can be a bit like separate because some people are more focusing on uh, like injury prevention and some might be more focusing on the the tactical part of the the game but i think in the end it's good to try to put it all together and yeah putting it together would be good yeah you mentioned about the uh, data analytics and looking at areas of control of the field. Do you see an effect where the uh, metrics in in sort of the analytics, so saying, well, we, we think we have a higher probability of scoring if we have more control over the, uh, this part of the field. Do you think that then turns into the coaching? And is there a risk that then you are kind of optimizing towards the wrong thing? That if I'm trying to say, well, we need to try and meet this metric of better control over this area, that may be correlated with uh, higher scores or higher probability to score, but it may not be causative. Yeah, of course. But I, I, I think it should be, um, is it the other way around? If you use those pitch control metrics to quickly get the right clips and, and always go uh, to the video itself to make sure that, that it makes sense. So for, for now, I think those yeah those metrics should actually be combined with with video and should be used to make the video analysis workflow easier. Um, so the, the the metrics are then supporting the the coach and their insight and their their strategy on how to do it better, rather than uh, driving the team to simply let let's try and improve these metrics on the blind hope that by improving those metrics it turns into greater scoring opportunities. Yeah, I'm not aware of of clips doing that indeed. <laughs> so I, I know clips that are using those metrics to kind of automate their uh, video analysis workflows, and I think that that really makes sense. Because I, I can imagine that you probably face an equivalent challenge as maybe 
other uh, fields like healthcare, right? So doctors are not trained to become very analytical. So many doctors choose uh, to minimize their mathematics skills because they're caring about something else and their passion is that. And I can imagine, you know, in the healthcare, when you're presenting a doctor saying, you know, this data shows that there's a better way of treating these customers or clients or or patients, whatever, that uh, many doctors kind of feel a bit like, well, hold on, I'm the expert. I have spent a large percentage of my life studying intensively all these phenomena and uh, it's hard that data can do better and, and i'm assuming that an equivalent scenario can also happen with coaches which also probably objectively chose not to study math because they're interested in sports and being outside that uh, data is not something that confronts them and they want to change it do you see that analogy or is it just a uh, i've been speaking to the wrong doctors and coaches throughout my career <laughs> No, it definitely applies to, to coaches as well. Um, it, it also happens to be that some coaches also don't want to use video. So I, I think video would be the first step, just get a more objective, is more objective, or at least make sure that your perception was correct during, during a game. Uh, I think next step is also using video, uh, using data. But there are already coaches that don't want to use video, so they definitely don't want to use data. And is that because of privacy? Is it because of just the hassle, or is it just because they believe their gut feeling will take them further than looking at video recordings and data? Uh, yeah, I think uh, it's the, the second uh, one. They uh, the gut feeling is is good, yeah. and they uh, yeah they know what happened. <laughs> So they don't have to watch video. And if and if you um, maybe look back in the history of your your company, Team TV, what would have been the I don't know the hardest parts that stick in your mind and the lessons learned that you've picked up from this journey of going from single customer to multiple different sports, multiple clubs, multiple levels? Do you have any particular challenges or lessons learned that stick stick out that you'd like to share? Mm. Within sports, uh, network is, is pretty important. So I think we we built some cool stuff, but we didn't have the, the network to reach the clubs. Uh, and, and if we, for example, go to to hockey clubs as a couple of core balls, then well, <laughs> you, you you won't sell anything because you need to be part of the sport. That's I think that's for us at least uh, an important one. There were some times that we, we thought about, well, maybe we should do this and maybe not. In the end, we decided to not do it. And a couple of years later, we thought, well, it would be pretty good if we did have, do it, did have done it. Uh, because we said, uh, saw some competitors do it. So I think if you really believe in something, make sure that you go for it and not like half go for it. So, and I'm kind of curious to to ask you because you seem very passionate about this. What, what is the most fun part of your job? So, so what puts the biggest smile on your face in the morning? Hmm. Well, we we, we don't have a lot of employees yet, but we're working right now with some two really good data scientists, and I I think it's it's really cool to to see what they what they created and what they come up with. And 
Well, the domain is, is something that I really like. Uh, so sports, I'm really interested in. I'm really interested in how you can improve players and also make sure that they have more fun and what they are doing. So be, being able to work on that domain together with some really great people that are, yeah, built stuff that I was not able to think about and, and see what I uh, achieve. Yeah, it's, it's really cool to see. And along those lines, what is what are the, some of the things that you're going to be doing next? Is is the future going into different sports like I don't know Formula One rallies, or is it uh, going deeper in the technology stack? What are what are the things that you're looking to learn next and evolve? Well, from a business perspective, we are looking into how we can uh, apply the same technology into different domains. Because right now we are uh, using it in, in sports, but also for ed yeah, other, other types of education is really uh, helpful. So to uh, have a set of competences that someone should learn and using video to provide like proof that uh, a student does have those competences. That's, yeah, we can also apply that uh, for other education. So that's also one of the things that we are setting up a different label together with a company that's uh, really good uh, in coaching. And yeah, we, we're changing the product a little bit to make sure that it, it fit, fits that uh, market. So that's more from a business perspective. And from the technical perspective, we are more looking into the machine learning part that we, what, what I said, people coaches now have to manually enter data and they, don't like it because it takes a lot of time and we want to automate it. Uh, so you just upload the video or not even upload or system does it uh, or, or hardware and then our system will just provide all the information automatically. So I think those two are uh, for the pretty, yeah, not short term, but for the, the, the upcoming years, it will be an important one. And for you personally, is there something that you're, uh, you've got your keen eye that you'd like to learn as a, and maybe an independent of your company? Independent of my company. Now, not totally independent because I, I would like to see the, the company growing and, and have some more people uh, working for it. So it would be more like uh, yeah, the, 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 the management side of it, more coaching the people within the, the company because I like uh, coaching and that would be an, an awesome combination because I already see that, that the, the people are doing great stuff and yeah, I only have to ask questions uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, to, to make sure that they reflect on what they're doing and uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy that. So it, it would be good if I uh, can help the company by asking better questions, putting more structure into place and making sure that other people yeah, can get the best out of themselves. So uh, yeah, for, for, for me, that would be a uh, uh, learning goal. And how big is the company? Uh, eight people right now. So uh, what is the right way for people who want to engage with you, maybe learn a bit about sports analytics? What would be the right way to reach out to you? They can always mail me at the at teamtv.nl or go to a website teamtvsupport.com if, if you search for Kuhn Vosse on Twitter you will learn a lot more about uh, sports analytics 
or you can also follow uh, PySport because that's the the Twitter I use for uh, for the open source uh, project. So there are a lot of ways to uh, to reach out uh, to me. And with that, this is a great place to stop our conversation today. I wanted to thank you for listening to Tangible Computing. While we have your attention, we really want this podcast to trigger your curiosity and motivate you to engineer a better world. So let us know if you have any ideas for future topics or speakers, or even how to make this podcast better. Just send us an email to tangible at tangiblecomputing.com.